Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we dig into Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, we talk Star Tropics and the first Nintendo Power Game Club, and lots more. My name is Chris Slate, and joining me today are Rob Waters from Nintendo Treehouse. Hi, Rob. Hey! And Joe Bustos from the social media team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Joe. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Great. And I'm super excited to have both you guys here to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, which just launched on May 29th. Um, but before we start digging into the Definitive Edition, um, first, I'd love to hear about your past experiences with the earlier version of this game on other platforms. So, Rob, what was your experience with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles like before this new version? Oh, I've put I've put a good hundred and some odd hours in, in the original version as well as Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh, so I am well versed in Xenoblade Chronicles as a whole. Awesome. Joe, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right up there with Rob. Um, big fan of the series. I've played all the games and the different versions of it. So I, I, I'm honestly super excited to talk about it today. Yeah, same here. You know, I, I missed out on the Wii version back in the day, but I heard lots of really good things about it. Lots of great reviews. I know it had like a meta score of 92 and it was popular with many fans. So I checked out the new Nintendo 3DS version when it came out. I got really far, but I didn't beat it. So I'm about 16 hours into the new version. And, and so my goal now is to actually see it all the way through to the end. Yeah, it, it's a extremely long game. I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours. And, and you know, with this this new version, they somehow managed to make it a, a massive game, like way even bigger. Um, so, I mean, you could buy this game and play it for, for months and it'd be the only thing you would need. Yeah, especially if you try to do all the side missions, right? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's back up just for a little bit then. And, and, and Rob, um, how would you describe the basic game plan story to anyone who isn't already familiar with the game? Yeah, so Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition has a very interesting uh, location. You're actually going to be... Let's, let's talk about location first, the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're actually going to be walking through and on top like two giant titans. Uh, one of them being the Bionis, which is more like biological. And the Mechonis, which is of course mechanical. Uh, which really builds into the story where it's this uh, idea of man versus machine. Or at least that's as far as we're going to go with, with this today. Um, where you have Shulk and the Homs, sort of like a human race, trying to fight off the Mechon, uh, which are this group of robots trying to invade. Um, and it does a really good job at building that tension as you go on through. It starts a year in the past, showing another hero with uh, the ma magical blade. It's not magical. It's something. Mythical, uh, mysterious blade. Say. Mythical, yeah. Uh, the Monado fighting off the Mechon, and then you eventually get to see Shulk take it on and go through his journey of sort of revenge and self-discovery. And yeah, one of the best things about it is you get to learn about that world, right? Um, the gameplay overall is open world action RPG, uh, where the player gets to go on through and they really get to uh, immerse themselves into this uh, real-time battle system uh, as they can which allows them to move and perform attacks just as they continue to go on through the game. Um, it's a really fun, you know, experience. Yeah, and I think even people who aren't familiar with um, or haven't had a chance to play one of the previous uh, Xenoblade, or one of the previous versions of Xenoblade Chronicles, um, may still know Shulk from the Super Smash Brothers games. And um, 
and have experienced how using the Monado even in that game uh, can have some of the same kind of different, uh, uh, you know, buffs or debuffs that, uh, that you experience in the actual series. Yeah, yeah. They uh, in the, in Super Smash Brothers they use the the Monado arts, which is of course present in this game, as well as his future vision and his few, a few of the other arts for his uh, different move specials. Uh, so it definitely transitions on over between the two, which is great. Um, but of course, this game is more RPG based, so you're not going to be uh, constantly. Uh, pressing buttons to do those attacks instead you're going to be strategically choosing everything um, but you get a little bit of that flavor that you got to see in smash brothers in this game so mm -hmm. now speaking of shulk and and uh, not just shulk but i think one of the most endearing things about this game at least from what i've experienced so far is the whole cast of characters um, there's a lot of very different personalities and a lot of really cool interactions between characters um, so, you know, Joe, what would you say, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to talk favorite characters or just what really strikes you about this particular group and how they work together, but what would you say about not just Shulk, but Ryan, Dunban, some of the other cool characters in the game? Yeah, I think the thing, the thing about this series and, and this game in particular is the characters are really fleshed out. The whole cast is really, is really kind of given the time to develop and they have, you know, they, they have a lot of time in the spotlight and, um, you know, that's, that's something that I really love about the game and, um, you know, being able to kind of see how, you know, Shulk is, is this character who's, he's really driven by kind of his, his, the revenge, uh, story in the beginning, but also he's, he's very earnest about his intention. Um, he's not a character that deceives other people and he, you know, he's very, very honest and, uh, in kind of the things that he's trying to achieve. And I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about his character a lot. Um, you know, but the other thing too, is that the characters have a lot of great interplay together. Um, there are characters, who are introduced uh, a little bit later in the game, but they also are given the time to really develop and their, their kind of backstories and side stories that occur are, are really kind of fleshed out. Um, so, you know, one of, one of my favorite characters is Melia. Um, and in this game, you know, she, in the main game, she's, you know, a lot happens to her. There's, there's so much, you know, Rob, you, you've, you've been through this whole game and, uh, you know, I think you're, oh, yeah. you, you've played more <laughs> of the definitive edition than I have. So you've been able to kind of see what's been done and, you know, in future connected and things like that. So, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, I do, I am actually playing through kind of the main game first, um, to try and, uh, give myself a refresher and then experience the new content. Um, but, you know, I, I'd be kind of curious to hear from your perspective, Rob, um, you know, what they're able to do with her character and kind of flush that out a little bit more in the epilogue. And I so, should I should jump in really quick and just let people know uh, we're not going to spoil anything you know too crazy on the on the story. So people, you know, anything we talk about here is just going to be more of an outline, so people can kind of rest easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go too deep. I, I wish <laughs> I could. I'm super excited for everyone to play uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected. Uh, but one of the big things with the story is it's not we 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 highlight Shulk a lot within the main game, but uh, the future connected story is really Melia's story with Shulk along for the ride. Uh, that's one of the bigger bigger points of it. You have Alchemoth that's floating uh, by the Bionis shoulder for some reason. Uh, you have this new area to explore, and uh, as we've uh, shown here and there uh, through different videos and whatnot, you're actually going to interact with the High Entai. Um, that are on the Bionis shoulder. And so you get to discover a little bit about what's been going on a year later uh, in the world of Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, I'm super excited for everyone to play it. Yeah, and just to touch on the characters again, I mean, I think people who haven't played the game probably know a lot of some of the iconic lines 
uh, and some of the, the kind of the funny, funny memes that have been kind of circulating out there. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that gives this, this game so much personality is, is you just, those things kind of just like worm into your head and, um, it, it, like even just the, the interplay between the characters during the battles, like kind of the small dialogue that they have with each other, it, it really just kind of lends this feeling that this, the party in the game is, is a family. And that's, that's kind of the thing that you, that really makes you connect with them. Yeah, absolutely. I always, uh, you know, get really stressed out when um, I get a vision that one of the, uh, during battle, that one of my party members are about to fall in battle. And I always hurry around to them to warn them, try to change the future. So, uh, you know, you do get really connected and you really do want to look out for those guys for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll, we'll get to some of the new, uh, other new, along with Future Connected, the new epilogue, some of the new features that have been added to this definitive edition version of the game in just a moment. But first I wanted to just, um, in, in, painting some of the broader strokes for people of, of what this game is like. One of the other big aspects I think of it is just, not just the, the, the setting, like uh, the Mechonis and the Bionis and where the game takes place, but as you're playing the game, just how big the world is and how big the scope is. And I think uh, even if people aren't necessarily familiar with a lot of RPGs, I think anyone who has played like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and really loves to kind of explore that kind of world and, and kind of go to these mountaintops and see these beautiful vistas and find these really interesting places to explore, we'll see a lot of that a lot of that here in this game as well, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the world is absolutely huge. Uh, very early on, you it's sort of linear. It guides you, of course, on your your main adventure. But once you get to the the Bionis leg, is really where it opens up. You're able to go on. This is a uh, Gar Plains, uh, mm. the the Smash Brothers uh, uh, stage. Uh, people may find uh, the iconic like cliffs overhanging and whatnot. Um, that's where it really opens up to having more side quests, having hidden locations to find that really are rewarding. Um, learning a little bit more about the world, especially the other colony of people and whatnot. Um, but just as you continue to go on through, the world is is larger than I think what people are going to be expecting. So, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of touches to the world I think that really really make it feel like it's it's a lot bigger. I mean, the space is, itself is huge, but there there are smaller things with the mechanics like, you know, being able to just kind of wander around and you're, you know, at a very low level and you just see a monster in the distance that's level 80 and can just kind of take you out in one shot. But that that kind of thing, you know, it, it it indicates to you that there's there's so much in this game. There's there's a lot to be seen. Things that um, you know this area that you're already in, but though there's even later on you could come back and there's still so much more for you to do. Um, so that you know that's one of the things I really enjoy. On top of you know just being able to kind of discover all these hidden vistas and secret things uh, in these really really massive areas. Yeah, it's always nice too when you kind of wander into a new area for the first time and you kind of get that alert that you've now reached a, a place basically you can fast travel to. And um, so, you know, it is nice with the world so big that you have a fast way to kind of get from point A to point B, especially if you want to pop back to some of the earlier areas and go to the shops and things like that. But uh, but you don't want to do that too much. Like any good RPG, you want to make sure you're getting enough combat in the in-between areas that you're you're leveling up and, and keeping pace with some of the challenges later in the game. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things I really, really appreciate is the almost instant fast travel you could just travel from across the entire map or into a completely different area. And it's, it's there in, a, in barely a few seconds, which, you know, it, it just makes it super easy to pop around and see all these big, big locations. Mm -hmm. Now we talked a little bit already about the new epilogue chapter, Future Connected, which uh, if someone's already um, played through the, the game on a previous platform, 
um, and would rather just start right away with Future Connected. I think that's that's possible, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it does, of course, warn you, hey, you may want to play the main story first, but you can go into Future Connected right away. Yeah, I was pretty tempted, but I, I made myself, I got to go through the main story first so I get the full experience when I finally get to the epilogue. But what are some other um, um, of the new additions to this game? And there's a lot, but some of the other, the key ones that really jumped out to you guys. A big one for me is the, the remastered music tracks. Um, mm-hmm. Almost all the music's been redone in the game, which I, you know, some of the, this music I've been listening to for years, you know, this the soundtrack for me personally is is really one of the best in any game for me ever. Um, so being able to hear some of those tracks, just seeing how they've been punched up uh, is, is really, really exciting. And, you know, Rob, I'm sure for the, it's the same for you, um, you know, being a fan of the series before, um, kind of curious to, to hear your, your thoughts on the, on the music too. Yeah, so the music, uh, they did a really good job remastering those, those tracks, giving them a different feel, giving them a more polished feel. Um, of course, we have uh, different sound options, and I think that really comes out with uh, how they've remastered the music. Um, for me, I, 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 uh, I definitely started listening to the soundtrack more and more, like even in my spare time, uh, at work because of this remastered soundtrack, I would turn it on and plug in my headphones and just let it go pop to different areas and listen through. So, uh, it's definitely worth a listen as, as it continues to come out. So, yeah, it's a lot of. I was just going to say there's a lot of good favorites in there. I especially like the, the way that the music gets softer at night and yeah. really kind of adds a lot of atmosphere. You know, I think that's one of the things, too, that a game like Breath of the Wild actually took on, too, is like when you're in a town and you just notice how as the time changes, the music changes, the atmosphere changes. And that's that's something that really bears similarity with this game. Everything from the music to, you know, the types of monsters that appear at night, the types of you know, NPCs that are wandering around, that's all, you know, that's, that's something that's a big staple of this game too. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually wanted to ask Rob, um, since you, you know, your experience more with Future Connected, um, is there any like kind of change in the musical style or kind of, I know there's, there's some new music tracks in there. I don't know if you could speak to that. Uh, there is a nice big change to the musical style. Um, I'm going to wait to really dive deep into it, but it definitely has, a more a jazzier style to it um I'm, I'm excited to hear what people really think about it um once they get their hands on it we've we've uh we haven't released any of the tracks for future connected uh but we have included them in a few trailers here and there um the battle music has to be my favorite song now uh within xenoblade chronicles as a whole oh, because wow. of this new jazz style um there's a couple of games i could compare it to but they're not on nintendo platforms and unfortunately um but they are uh it is absolutely amazing so excited to hear it that's awesome and of course with the uh with the new changes to the audio we've also got some pretty significant changes to the actual video the graphics um you know when the game originally launched on on we obviously that was a couple of generations ago now so it's really been brought forward you know, especially if you look at the character models how the faces look now and just everything's so much sharper and crisper um and it uh especially for me coming from playing the new nintendo 3ds version <laughs> it is a huge pump up <laughs> especially in a game where you know a big part of the the appeal is like really seeing these beautiful kind of wide open spaces so uh so rob what do you think of that how you know how has that affected kind of your enjoyment playing through this version of the game compared to previous versions 
Yeah, one of the big things with the HD graphics that really stood out to me is the emotional connection you can have with the characters a little bit more. You can see more emotion in their face during the cutscenes. You can really get into their head a little bit more because you can you can almost empathize with them now compared to the Wii graphics where you sort of think Shulk's angry uh, because his eyes sort of squint, but you're not quite sure because you don't really see that emotion fully in his face. Um, the first scene that really popped out for me with this was when Ryan picks up the Monado and hits Fiora with it on accident. Um, you can actually see the anger in her face. You can see Shulk not caring, which is a little sad. He doesn't care that Fiora got her, almost hurt. Um, but it gives you that idea that, oh, he knew what was happening, what was going on. Um, and you definitely get that, of course, as the game continues on, as the Mechon attack Colony 9, and as you see other characters um, come and come into frame uh, as you go through the story of the game. It's it's a great improvement, and it really stands out as uh, one of the bigger ones, not just from a visual standpoint, but an emotional standpoint for the player. So, Yeah, and you know that's one of the things I noticed uh, with Xenoblade Chronicles 2. The characters were really, really expressive. I mean, you could see like the anger in Rex's eyes and uh, being able to have a little bit of that style kind of transition into some of the character expressions here uh, is, is really, really, really great. Um, you know, even going back to when we first announced this game last year at Nintendo Direct, um, when I when I first saw that trailer, I, I think I didn't realize to what extent this this game was was coming back. Um, you know, I, I kind of assumed it would be you know kind of a HD remaster and um, the character models would stay the same, but some uh, some things would be redone. But then to see you know the character models be redone and uh, just so many different aspects about it, I you know actually the first time I watched the trailer, I was like kind of speechless uh, like stood up like <laughs> they didn't do that there's no way so yeah it's it's pretty memorable moment for me seeing it the first time yeah and you, you know you mentioned some of the things or just the volume of, of of changes and new content that have been added to the game uh just kind of running down the list of a few more here there's casual and expert modes uh, you know casual mode obviously is a great way for rpg beginners to kind of start with the game event theater mode um time attack battles what are some other things uh, you know, that we haven't really gone into detail yet that really jump out to you guys? So the quest tracking is one of the bigger ones for me. In the original game, you would take on a quest and you would have to go find the goal. Uh, it wouldn't guide the player. It would just give them hints here and there if you talk to townsfolk or just within the description of the quest. But now it'll actually guide you on these quests. Um, quests are super important in the game for players who want completion, but also players who want to excel at combat. Um, aside from giving you just experience and equipment, you can actually unlock additional skill trees for your characters, uh, which give you a huge variety of different options on building characters. Um, some of these skill trees will change the armor set that a character will equip, uh, or you'll want to equip to a character. Some other skill trees will just give you awesome abilities that you can share between uh, other characters through the affinity coin system. Uh, so they've really done a good job at helping players through the game a little bit more. Now, with including this, you can also turn it off if you want more of an old school experience as well through the options. So it's always nice. And and I should just backtrack for a second too and say, we you know we talked about the remastered music. I think the original versions are still in the game as well, right? Oh, they are. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can... Uh, you can listen to the original soundtrack if you want to, or you can listen to the remastered soundtrack. It's right. all up to you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, Joe, any other uh, kind of new features that we, we were talking about that, that jump out to you? Yeah, one of the new ones is the time attack mode. And it's kind of it's really fun to just kind of 
take on some of these battles and then earn some of the rewards. Um, you know, Rob, we we talked about this before, but there you know there are some fun costumes in there that are they're pretty pretty wacky. There's like pineapple Ricky, and uh, you know there's all these kind of weird kind of uh, swimsuit outfits for Shulk. So I think these are are definitely going to be a hit. Um, but in addition to all that, I think one of the ones that I, I really, uh, really like is just being able to choose cosmetic outfits. Um, it, you know, it, with the original game, this is one of the, the things that I both loved and, and kind of, um, you know, had a couple complaints about is that you'd be able to change your armor. But um, based on whether you want to kind of have the optimal armor set or and the right appearance, uh, it would just change and you wouldn't be able to, to kind of... Um, have a cohesive look like you really wanted to. So with this one, you could change your armor, but then you could also kind of set what um, kind of cosmetic appearance you, you want to have. So it's kind of the best of both worlds there. Yeah, definitely. I need to dig into that some more because I've just been walking around with some really mismatched, wacky combinations. And I've been in a couple dramatic scenes from it's, it's kind of undercut it a little bit to have Ryan looking like he looked, but, uh, <laughs> but it's nice to know I have the option of going in and kind of fine tuning that so that he always appears, uh, to be a, a pretty cool looking dude. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, next, I guess I just want to ask you guys, you know, uh, uh, what are your favorite, just your overall impressions so far of, of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition? You know, what, it can be specific or just broad, but, you know, now that you guys are kind of playing this version of the game, what are just, I guess, some last thoughts you might have uh, about it? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's an amazing game. I mean, it, it is really something that you'll be in for the long haul. You know, even even going back to when this game first released, um, there's just something really magical about the the world that they put together and the way they've kind of built it. Um, and you know, even in as far as kind of Japanese role playing games goes, there's there's really few things like it uh, in terms of just the the kind of the scale and the combat system, the characters. Um, and kind of the freedom that they give you with the combat system, I think, is is still really amazing. One thing I'm doing this time around um, that I didn't really do uh, when I played the game for the first time is kind of experimenting with different party types and um, have you know using uh, a different character for the one that I control. Um, so this time around, I've been um, kind of messing around with um, different characters and using controlling someone like Melia a little bit more, who I didn't really use the first time I played around. Um, so you know that's that's. I think one of the things that I'm trying to do and it really changes up the game so much. And, um, you know, I, there's just completely different kind of combat styles based on which character you're controlling. And, uh, I'd be kind of curious uh, to hear from your perspective too, Rob, if you've kind of messed around with some of the other characters uh, as your controllable character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things, at least with future connected, uh, that, really caught me off guard is they sort of force you at the beginning to choose Melia as your playable character. Uh, through the main story, I played a lot of Ryan. I played a lot of uh, Sharla and Shulk, uh, rotated through them, and maybe a little bit of Dunbamp. I never really played Melia. Um, I know from the fans, she's one of the strongest characters in the game if you play as her just because of the abilities that she has. Um, but yeah, that that experimentation is is a big thing, especially when you're looking at builds of characters and whatnot um for myself on revisiting it i actually found i was actually pleasantly surprised on how much i missed the world and the characters of this game um it has a very different feel from the writing the voiceovers and whatnot that give you an uh, another worldly feel you know there's all these other rpgs that are out right now and they they feel very 
I want to say American, uh, <laughs> a bit of a weird way of putting it. Uh, but having having the voiceovers uh, be done in Europe as well as the the writing gives it a very different feel that you're not really expecting um, in terms of uh, JRPG that Nintendo's releasing, um, especially with such a a fantasy world like being on the back of these titans and whatnot. So. I was I was very uh, happy to return there and go on this adventure again with Shulk and the crew, uh, especially with these improvements, because I honestly don't think I can ever go back to the Wii version or 3DS version again. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go, no, you go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, you know, with this with this game, you know, I the first time I played it around a lot of the the environments and the the characters and the music kind of all combining together it really kind of drove kind of emotional connection for me um something that makes me feel like very nostalgic even though the game's not really old so even coming back to it again and seeing seeing it kind of fully realized the music redone the graphics you know are really beautiful um you know it's really kind of just it, it brings that all back and it really drives that that connection these are you know when i think of kind of the old role-playing games that i really love um you know, really, there's really kind of that emotional connection at the at the core of it, and that that for me, uh, coming back to this game, uh, it really kind of reminded me about that and and why kind of I love this series so much. Uh, one last thing before we go, I just wanted to see if we had any general tips um, for anyone who's starting the game for the first time, because you know, I think for people that have played the game, will know there is a lot in this game, and it's one of the one of the great things about it is that there are so many systems and subsystems and things to take advantage of. Um, and especially in the beginning when you're kind of learning all of that, it can be, uh, or at least for me, I don't play a lot of RPGs personally. I found it to be a little bit daunting, but I, I thought that this time around it seemed a lot less so, even though I felt like I'd forgotten a lot of things from, from the new Nintendo 3DS version. Uh, but I think it's part of it is what we spoke to before, is there is a lot more kind of things in this version of the game to help assist people. Um, but still, I just wanted to find out if you guys had any suggestions. Maybe Rob, we'll start with you in terms of um, in terms of what can really get people going in this game, even basic combat strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first, I actually wrote down some tips just so I could make sure to remind myself. So the first one is just do side quests. Um, they do take a lot of time, uh, or used to take a lot of time, um, but they're definitely really rewarding in terms of uh, experience, learning about the world. Uh, getting equipment for your characters, as well as getting those additional skill trees. Uh, next would be don't be afraid to experiment in the game. Change your character up, change your equipment up. Uh, even though a piece of equipment may seem useless, there may be a use for it. Um, of course, there's three different types of armor sets. We have light, medium, and uh, heavy. And uh, each of them have their own benefit when using different characters. Um, and don't forget to go down the uh, skill tree where you don't need armor for Dunban anymore. Uh, and then always run away from the giant ape in guard planes until you get <laughs> high enough level. <laughs> He's a bit of a beast. Yeah. So, yeah. I love it when you see those like towering kind of Titan sized bad guys kind of just walking by casually in the background. And I always take a very wide, you know, arc around where they are. Yep. It's just oh, yeah. immediate it's, danger. It's tough. <laughs> Um, and then for basic battle, it's it's uh, pay attention to those blue exclamation points that they've added into the game. Um, those are great for guiding you on when you're in the right position or when you have an, an art that you need to use. Um, so definitely pay attention to those. Those will help you out of time. Right, because they'll, they'll kind of, they're kind of recommending 
what kind of choice you make, right? Or what art you use or what attack. And I found it especially helpful when I would forget against certain enemies, there's a certain Monado art you need to use um, mm -hmm. really to, to kind of balance out the battle uh, or else, you know, you're, you're either not doing any damage or you're, you're taking more damage than you should. But um, it'll, it'll have that little, you know, that little symbol there just to remind you, hey, this is probably what you should pick, even though, of course, it's up to you in the end. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Joe, any tips you would share? Yeah, I think I just have one one tip. I think Rob covered most of it. Um, make sure that you go to the gem stall and make gems. That's something that's super easy to forget. He he shows up kind of at the start of the game, and it's something that you could easily dismiss, but um, it, it, it's super important, and the gems can add so much um, so much to your characters. You know, even when when a piece of armor might be weaker than one that has multiple gem slots, um, you could easily make it way stronger than that. So, um, and you know, later in the game, there, there are other ways to, um, kind of craft gems to make it a little bit more convenient for you. Um, but yeah, I think kind of in the early game, it could be something that you could, it could totally pass you by and you'll just totally forget. So, um, yeah, definitely remember that and make sure you, you visit, uh, old colony nine, uh, when you get the chance. That, uh, that definitely happened to me. I forgot all about that guy in the gym stall and, and for hours. And when I finally went back, I realized I had so many materials to make so many gems. I was getting all these great like second and third level you know, um, buffs to uh, you know, strength or attack power, things like that. So yeah, that's, that's a great tip. And I would just add that um, you know, uh, I really, I'm taking full advantage of all the assists that are in the game in terms of you know, uh, following that yellow path on the map to my next objective, um, looking for map markers. I always go, when I come into an area with, with homs or people, I always look um, on the map to see where all those little exclamation marks are so I know exactly where to go to to get all my new side missions. And I like to just have them active so I can, you know, the next time I even just by chance happen upon the thing that, you know, kill the monster or find the item that's going to complete that side mission, it, it does, and you get your rewards right there. And um, there's a lot of tutorials in the game that you, they're never kind of, um, you know, they're always kind of optional, but they're always there to check out if there's something you don't quite understand. And then, uh, Rob, I think you mentioned earlier the story quest reminder where you just hit ZR and it kind of shows you a little screen that reminds you exactly what your current objective is in the main, the main floor of the game. So um, all that stuff really helps a lot. And, you know, you can choose to ignore it or, you know, do your own thing, but it's always kind of there to put you back on track. If you've spent the last several hours going on side quests, and then you think, wait, what was I supposed to be doing in the story again? So it's, it's always there to help guide you if you need it. <laughs> well, that's great guys. Thanks so much for talking about that game. And now we are going to move on to player's pulse. Um, now, a few days ago, uh, similar to what we did last episode, we posted three polls on Twitter for Nintendo fans, and we got over 140,000 votes, so thank you very much to everyone who participated. And again, these are just kind of three somewhat silly Nintendo questions that uh, I just love um, throwing out there to Nintendo fans like myself and seeing what they think. All right, so the first question was, which of the following would you rather take for a ride? And the options were Epona from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and other games in the series, The King of Red Lions from The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, a Loftwing from The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, or the Master Cycle Zero from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, Rob and Joe, you want to take a quick guess on which one got the, the most votes? Epona, King of Red Lions, Loftwing, or Master Cycle Zero? There's oh, only one, one right answer, Chris, and it's got to be Loftwing. Yeah, why well, would you want... Everything... <laughs> 
Yeah, everything else is a real world like counterpart. Yeah. You know, I, the Master Cycle Zero has motorcycles. The King of Red Lions is a boat and probably like a talking bass is what you could put on to it. The same thing. And then Epona has a horse. So it's simple. It should be Loftwing. Yeah, I, I'm with Rob. It's got to be Loftwing, right? Like, you, you know, I mean, why would you want to fly? <laughs> that Loftwing would absolutely have been my choice, but uh, it was not what the fans chose. They chose Epona. Which I understand. Uh, on, the, okay. <laughs> on the one hand, yeah, you can ride a horse, but Epone has a special place in people's hearts, I think, after uh, that specific horse. Yeah, you need a lot of, a lot of carrots. <laughs> they can be wrong. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe we can find a way to put Epona on a loft wing, and then we'll have it all. There we go. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I the next question. Oh, sorry. I, I would have thought Master Cycle Zero would have gotten a little bit more love there. I mean, that thing is... Uh, it's a motorcycle, but it's kind of like an all-terrain vehicle at the same time, too. So, Well, I can tell you, it, it got the second most votes. Oh, uh, wow. Epona, I should say, was uh, had got 38% of the vote. Uh, Master wow. Cycle Zero got 26%. Wow, okay. No right, love so for the next, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, a respectable 19%. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> so the next question was, who would win in an eating contest, Kirby or Yoshi? Who do you guys think would be the winner there? Oh. Well, it's going to be Kirby. Yeah. Yoshi would have to drop an egg either after every single hot dog or after <laughs> 10, like in Super Mario World. So it's got to be Kirby. He's an endless void, right? Yeah. Kirby Kirby can inhale. So, you know, it's he's just going at volume. Yeah. He's got the volume going. It's you know, true. But, Yoshi you know, what... is one at a time with his tongue. More than yeah, yeah. This turned out to be a pretty easy one. Kirby ran away with it at eighty percent. Sorry, eighty-eight percent of the vote. Oh wow! Okay, can't yeah. stop the uh, can't stop Kirby there. Too strong. Nope. Like you said, <laughs> he could pretty much just inhale the whole screen if he wanted to. <laughs> All right. The final question that we asked was, who would you rather see perform? And the options were the Squid Sisters from Splatoon, Off the Hook from Splatoon Two, or KK Slider from the Animal Crossing series. Who would you guys oh. have chosen here? Oh, it's difficult. I'd, I'd go K.K. Slider because I want to see a talking dog play guitar. Like, that's the big, you know, yeah. that's my big life goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his his lyrics are just so, they just really speak to me. Yeah. So any anytime I hear it, I'm just, you know, I'm touched. So it's got to be K.K. K.K. was it. K.K. won with 56% of the vote. He's just got uh, away with words. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, a lot, there's obviously a lot of love out there right now for Animal Crossing New Horizons. So he had a little bit of a... Uh, of a leg up on uh, the competition, I think. But but I that would have been my choice too. Just to just nice mellow kind of performance would be mm-hmm. great. All right, so now we're going to try a new segment. Um, we're calling it Nintendo Game Club. Uh, now we're trying this this episode instead of pros picks. This is kind of like a book club um, where we picked a game for all of us to play before recording, and that game was Star Tropics. And uh, now this is a game that a lot of people will probably fondly remember, but a lot of other people have probably never heard of it because it's, it's quite old at this point. And so we thought it would be fun to revisit the game and also to introduce it to new people. Um, now we announced what the game would be on Twitter so that anyone who was interested could play along with us. And, um, and we'll get to some of those comments in just a minute. Before we dig into it, though, um, I just wanted to share some basic facts about the game for those who may not have heard of it. Star Tropics was released for NES in 1990, which was just one year before the Super NES came out. And it's remained popular with NES fans, but as I said, some people missed it at the time, um, probably because it came out kind of late in the system's life cycle. 
Um, the game stars Mike Jones, who's, a, I guess, a famous pitcher who's searching across various islands and puzzle-filled dungeons for his missing uncle, an archaeologist named Dr. Jones, not that Dr. Jones. And uh, the game basically focuses on two types of gameplay. There's an RPG-style overworld map uh, with towns, and you actually kind of uh, traverse with us on a submarine. There's really no action that takes place here. It's a lot of talking and, and some puzzle solving. And then dungeons, which are kind of reminiscent of the dungeons from the original Legend of Zelda, although still quite a bit different as well. Um, and that's where all the real action takes place. And when I say action, your primary weapon is, is a yo-yo, which right away <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about this game, that it's, it's just a lot of goofy fun. And you also have other limited-use weapons, like a baseball bat and things like that. And the game is available to anybody who has a Nintendo Switch Online membership. It's part of the uh, NES game collection that comes with that. So it's one of the reasons we picked it to kick things off here. We thought a lot of people would, would have access to that and could, could play along with us. All right, so let's kick off our discussion with a comment that a fan shared with us over Twitter about the game. Uh, each of us took a comment uh, to share here on the show. <clears throat> so Joe, let's start with yours. Yeah, so this, this comment is from Jay Gamerbuck. And he says, or they say, I'm not very far into the game, but I'm already liking the interactions that you have with people. It's easy to see how you would fall in love with this world. Uh, and, you know, that, that's something that yeah, I really agree with. Uh, this game has, you know, Chris, you already outlined it. It's got such a specific kind of personality. I mean, the 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 setting is, is strange, but it's kind of simple at the same time. Um, the main character's name is Mike Jones. Um, but at the same time, he's going on this kind of weird quest where he's using a yo-yo as a weapon and trying to save, um, you know, Dr. Jones. So, you know, it is it is very, very wacky. There's just a lot of kind of elements about it that are uh, kind of just, they make you feel like you're in a different world, but at the same time, I don't think it's really meant to be that. Um, you know, all the places have cola in their name, which is, is really funny. My favorite is the one that's named How Do You Do Cola, which kind of just took yeah. me back. But, um, I like how yeah. Mike comes from Americola. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's got a really, really fun personality. I'm curious to hear, you know, from your guys playing it. Um, for me, it was the first time uh, coming to this game. So, you know, I, I've known that it's beloved for a long time, but I actually didn't really know a lot of the game. Um, so I, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, if um, it's something you had played before or um, was pretty new to you. Um, I'll step in. Uh, this is actually a game that I have very fond memories of as a kid. Uh, funny enough, my grandma was, uh, was the one who played NES games when I was growing up. So this is one of the games that she played. Uh, nice. This game is... For me, it has a special place in my heart. Um, and it's, it's definitely something that has stuck out for me in terms of uh, the interesting game design where you have, as Chris mentioned, that overworld and then you go into the dungeons. Some of those puzzles are brutal. Um, and the the story itself is, is a bit interesting. One of the things I really remember is actually the original instruction manual with that letter from your uncle um, that really stands out. Of course, you can't get it here in the virtual version, unfortunately. But if you want to take a look at it, actually, we have it up on the Nintendo website, which is actually where I was looking at the instruction manual uh, <laughs> recently to just go back on through and see if I remember uh, every little bit, like Mike Jones being from Seattle. It says a miracle in the game, but it says Seattle in the instruction manual. I don't know <laughs> what the difference is. Um, but yeah, the game, the game has a lot of challenge, but it's actually a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I remember the second second Star Tropics as well. It's pretty good. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a great one too. And and I, re, you know, the thing that struck me about this game, and I did play it back in the day, um, and I'm pretty sure I beat it. Although now that I'm playing, I'm playing through it again. I don't know how I would have done that because <laughs> it is really challenging, um, but but still very fun. Um, and yeah, I think just like the Jay Gamer Box said there, that it's the characters that you meet are just so funny. And the whole world has this very fun, cheery, kind of tropical, summery feel. So it felt like the perfect game to be playing right now while the weather's getting warmer. And I love all the little funny little bits they hide in there. Like there's a cameo from Rob the robot who's in the uh, subsea submarine that you take to different islands. He's kind of the navigational computer. There's a part where you talk to a dolphin and the dolphin has to like be translated. And uh, so it's just a bunch of like goofy off the wall stuff. You could tell that the people who are making it were just having a fun time. And, and I think that really comes through. Yeah, it's it's interesting how, you know, the dialogue is very, very simple, um, but they somehow managed to s- slip some humor in there. And when it when it hits you, it's like it's like very, very surprising. It's like, well, well, I didn't expect that. But and, you know, with the with the whole adventure, it, it is it doesn't, it's not like a kind of a world ending kind of, uh, um, struggle that's happening the whole time. It's, it's, you know, there is stuff that's happening that is kind of a, kind of, you know, very serious, but at, at the same time, the adventure itself feels very kind of fun and light. Um, like you were saying, Chris, with the dolphin and kind of saving the, the dolphin, uh, the dolphin's child and, um, you know, going through all these towns and they just all have, um, such fun names. So, you know, it, it does feel like, a real adventure, a real kind of sense of fun uh, throughout the whole thing. So and that, that's one of the things that really struck me um, and made me kind of fall in love with the world. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Rob, let's get to the comment that I believe you have to share from uh, from someone. It's not, this is another one that was shared with us over Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, wait, do I say the at or do I say the username? Uh, <laughs> you can just say the username. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, Patek? Uh, so the comment was actually really cool that Star Trek is getting some attention. It may be dated, but it's a very charming title with a wonderful setting. Um, yeah, the the setting itself of of the the sea islands and everything was was something that was sort of unique, right? You know, we always went to these fantasy worlds. Uh, we always had the Mushroom Kingdom, but we never really had something that sort of felt like a real world location, like some place you could go to. Um, and so that was one of the reasons this stood out to me was it really hits that that setting of, you know, this could be some place I could go to. I could go to the Sea Islands. I could go see a parrot and feed him a worm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that was that was something that stood out for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it is, it's just, it's, it's a really, obviously when you go back and you play an old game from the NES era, even the Super NES era, I think it's uh, a lot of times the games are, are more simplistic, you know, compared to obviously what we have today, it, especially since I've been playing a lot of Xenoblade Definitive Edition, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. And, uh, and then you go back and you play this. It's just a really kind of refreshing change of pace, I think, to play something that is, it's, it's very fun and challenging, but on kind of a more simple, straightforward way. And again, I think combined with the lighthearted, fun setting and everything, it, it, um, it it's just kind of a... You know, to me, it's it's very nostalgic, but I imagine for someone playing it for the first time, it's not necessarily nostalgic for them, but it is. it does kind of have those unique charms from a bygone era of a game that is just very straightforward and kind of easy to wrap your head around, but still kind of contains everything you need to have a fun, a fun time. Yeah, yeah, and this being my first time coming to the game, uh, I'm definitely right there with what you described, Chris. Um, you know, seeing seeing kind of 
the difference between something like a Xenoblade and then coming to this game. It is very straightforward, but again, like I was saying, it's it's something that surprises with the humor just because the game comparatively is so straightforward. And then when it kind of does hit you with some of the funny lines and just kind of some of some of the uh, eccentric parts of the world, um, it, it does just really take you by surprise. And you're like, wow, that's that's something that they like, you know, they really thought of. And, um, you know, it, they, they still managed to kind of find ways to work around the simplicity of the game to inject a lot of personality in there. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, well, the comment that I'm going to read comes from Eric uh, Wettstein, who says, My big roadblock as a kid was the graveyard crystal ball segment. I didn't know you could pause and switch to the item that reveals the ghosts that you are required to take out to reveal the true path through the dungeon. I'm playing it again through Nintendo Switch Online, and I'm blown away by how cruel this game is. Still love it to pieces, though. And, you know, I think, yeah, I actually got stuck in that exact same spot. And obviously, if I'd had a manual, uh, one of the old manuals to the original version of the game handy, I would have known that you can pause the game and then <laughs> press up to find the, uh, to bring up the row of kind of magic items. And in this case, he needed the staff to, uh, to make the ghosts appear. So you'd, you'd be able to find and take, take out the ghosts. And then that would open up, you know, some secret paths in a lot of cases. So you know, whether it's like a lamp that you need to actually be able to see in a room or a potion to refill your life, that's all on that second tier. So did want to mention that for anybody who's going to be trying the game, that you, that's something you need to be aware of. And Rob, you mentioned the letter earlier. That's actually, to give a little bit more detail on that, that's actually a letter that came packaged with the original NES version of the game. And at one point in the game, the game kind of prompts you to actually dip that letter in water. Mm -hmm. And then it actually reveals in kind of secret ink or whatever a frequency, a radio frequency, and the frequency is 747. And that's what you actually have to type into the Rob Navigational Computer to be able to progress in the game. So obviously that's something, uh, you know, a quick look online and you'll be able to find the frequency again. Um, but it's obviously something you need to, to know uh, to be able to enjoy the game now. But yeah, from secret paths that aren't always super clearly marked to um, weird puzzles. There's that whole puzzle where there's like a piano in a dungeon or, mm -hmm. or piano keys and and um, there's the clue that you're given domi sofa domi, I think. And, <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant, but I looked it up online and found out it was kind of musical terminology and it translates to keys on the piano. And so there's some really kind of obtuse <laughs> things, <Yeah. laughs> which if you're looking for a real challenge, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of great stuff to really sink your teeth into. If you're not, you can always kind of find solutions online. But I found that um, I started out playing this game thinking I'm going to, you know, show that I'm every bit the gamer I was back in the day, back in the 8-bit the days. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to cheat at all. And by the end of that first dungeon, I was creating suspend points every five steps. Oh, I, was, no. <laughs> I was using the, uh, the trick to, you know, press L and R to rewind a few frames to kind of go back to before I, I took that fatal blow. So uh, I would just recommend to anybody, I think the game is actually still quite challenging, even if you're, you're using all those new functions that you get with Nintendo Switch Online. Um, and I would just say, you know, if you're looking for a, a great supreme challenge, then go for it. If not, then don't hesitate to use those those functions because you can still really enjoy the game a lot that way. Chris, I thought you were going to come in here and say that you beat the game without, you know, <laughs> not doing any rewinds. <laughs> I would have believed you. <laughs> You'll just have to trust me that I think I did it back in 1990, and uh, and. Uh, I think it's it's obviously still possible. It's just you really have to put in um, the extra time and effort. And uh, I think uh, I've gotten kind of a little bit soft playing today's modern <laughs> games that are usually a lot more forgiving than the old days. 
Yeah, this this game is uh it's pretty brutal. Uh you know, in the beginning it doesn't start off too bad. Um but there are, there are a couple things in some of the later dungeons and some of the puzzles that are that are actually pretty like you were saying, they're pretty obtuse. Um one of one of the things I think that really throws you off is that you'll go into a town and you'll talk to everybody and they'll there's pretty much nothing to gain from there. Uh so that kind of throws you off because there are times where you do go somewhere and the the clue is just like somebody kind of just saying some gibberish or sprouting, spouting something off and you're like, well, I don't really understand that now. And then it kind of makes sense later. Whereas other times you go somewhere and there's just, you get nothing from it. Um, so that, you know, that's one of the things that could be a little obtuse. Uh, it is satisfying when you do figure things out. Um, but the combat in particular, you know, it, it's still really tight and it's still, it's still pretty fun. Um, one of the one one of the things that I found that was very very brutal was um, there's this dungeon where this giant boulder kind of goes back and forth and it's not really clear the hitbox on it is is kind of very very precise but if you just touch it just by a little bit you just die instantly um, so that that yeah. was you know that for me that that was needlessly brutal I think um, but I, you know it's a it's a product of its time right so um, yeah I I am fully willing to admit that. I would not be able to get very far in this game unless uh, we had all the features that we do now. So I am uh, a little bit, a little bit soft and coddled as a as a gamer. <laughs> yeah, well, as long as you're still having fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Any uh, Rob? Any last thoughts about the game from you? Um, no. I I really enjoyed uh, going back and uh and really revisiting this title um overall i i do agree that it it it's very tough um i did end up getting to zoda's spaceship but i didn't end up beating it i forgot how same here yeah that thing was oh that one's so brutal yeah um but yeah overall i i definitely enjoyed enjoyed going back to i do have one fun fact uh about the the letter though that you mentioned earlier uh, funny enough, it has a warning on the bottom that says, do not taste, eat, or otherwise consume this paper. And it says <laughs> it's very important at the end of the game. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, you know, Just good advice for paper in general, I think. <laughs> you, I don't think you'll get the code if you eat it. So, <laughs> I don't think so either. Well, yeah, I would just say that I think, uh, like I said before, it's, it, I think it's a great title to just kind of have some simple, uh, you know, cheesy fun with here during the summer with the tropical theme and, and the catchy music, especially. I, I really enjoyed that. So uh, I would recommend that everybody give this game a try. I would just um, say don't hesitate to use those, uh, those kind of cheat functions if, uh, if you need to. Cool. So now we are going to go to the Warp Zone quiz. Um, as always, this is where we guess games that came out 10, 20, or 30 years ago during the month of June this time. So you guys ready? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I, I, I often say this, but, you know, it, it bears repeating this time. I think there's a couple of really tricky ones in here. So, uh, so uh, we'll see what happens. All right, so 10 years ago, this is in June of 2010. Um, Nintendo published a Wii rail shooter developed by Treasure, that was the long-awaited successor to a Nintendo 64 cult classic and featured co-op action with Issa, Joe, and Kachi in an interdimensional battle against the Nebulox. So do you want to have any guesses? This well, is... Well, Sin and Punishment, but I don't remember the subtitle if there was one. Uh... <laughs> I think Joe, it's... Suppose... Yeah, I think it's Sin and Punishment to the Star Successor or something like that. That You guys pretty yeah. much got it. Sin and Punishment, Star Successor. Ah, That's right. 
Great Thanks. job. I really thought that was a bit of a deep cut. I'm, I'm really impressed you guys knew that one. Well, we're on the uh, the podcast where we're talking about Xenoblade, right? So I think we're, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. right in the Chances target audience. Chances are above there. average. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So 20 years ago, June of 2000, the clues are Nintendo published a side-scrolling Nintendo 64 platformer developed by HAL in which you could steal or even combine your enemy's powers. And the series' colorful cast of characters were rendered in 3D for the very first time. Any guesses? This... Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Subtitle and everything. <laughs> Nice job. Yeah, I actually, uh, until I went back and looked at this, I didn't realize that that was the first time the Kirby gang had kind of been rendered in uh, mm -hmm. 3D, uh, even though it was technically still kind of a, a side-scrolling or maybe a 2.5D game. Yeah. All right. 30 years ago, this is June in 1990, the clues are Sunsoft released an action game for Game Boy based on a blockbuster 1989 movie in which you dress all in black, go out at night, and fight a clown. Any guesses? I'll, I'll let oh. Joseph choose this. Give the answer for this one. <laughs> oh. You're also this very is... rich. Yeah, but which which Batman is it? Well, it's got to be just Batman. <laughs> the Batman? The Joker is not in Batman Returns. so. That's there right, Batman. <laughs> yep. Actually came out a year after the, the movie really blew up. You know what's weird about this game, and I didn't realize this until I went back and looked at it. Batman uses a gun like the whole game, which is a little <laughs> off-brand for Batman. Huh. <laughs> All right, so now um, bonus question. This is an audio question. I have a sound effect. I'm going to see if you guys can guess where this sound effect is from. Okay, here we go. I'll play it a couple of times, and then we'll see if you guys know the answer. Any guesses? This is, uh, yeah, Super Mario, Mario World. World. Exactly right. Pick the game right and everything. Nice job. Yoshi and Super Mario World, his very first appearance. That's actually two sounds, his tongue and then gobbling something up. <laughs> cool. Nice. All right. Well, great job there. That's full marks. I can't remember the last time that happened, or maybe it did, and my memory is just really terrible. But uh, in any case, uh, you get the great imaginary trophy. Well done. <laughs> All the credit goes to Rob. I... <laughs> it's always nice to have someone in the Tinder Treehouse on. <laughs> Cool, all right, so before we go, we're gonna to go to Game Forecast. This is where we take a look at some of the Nintendo Switch games that just released or are coming soon, and I'm just gonna read through the whole list here and then uh, check with you guys to see what pops off. <clears throat> so on May 26th, we have Minecraft Dungeons from Mojang. On May 28th, we have Shantae and the Seven Sirens from Way Forward. May 29th, we had Bioshock The Collection. Uh, from Take-Two Interactive. Now this included Bioshock Remastered, Bioshock 2 Remastered, and Bioshock Infinite, the complete edition. And then we had, um, also still, all of this is on May 29th, we had Borderlands Game of the Year Edition from Take-Two Interactive. And uh, you could also get Borderlands The Handsome Collection, which included Borderlands 2 and Borderlands the pre-sequel. The pre or Borderlands Legendary Collection, which had not only Borderlands 2 and Borderlands the pre-sequel, but also Borderlands Game of the Year Edition. And uh, then we have XCOM 2 Collection from Take-Two Interactive. And then finally, the last game from May 29th was Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition from Nintendo. I think we've heard of that one. Then on June 5th, we have The Outer Worlds from Private Division, Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics from Nintendo. And on June 19th, we have Burnout Paradise Remastered from Electronic Arts. June 24th is Ninjala from Gung Ho Online. June 25th is Mr. Driller Drill Land from Bandai Namco. And finally, on June 30th, we have The Legend of Heroes Trials of Cold Steel 3 from NIS America. Rob and Joe, did any of those games jump off to you? 
This I'm already is... downloading Minecraft Dungeons right now. <laughs> and I'm super excited for Shantae. So. <laughs> this month uh, surprisingly got really busy. I mean, I'm, I'm like 400 hours into Animal Crossing and I'm still playing wow. every day for a lot of time. And, uh, you know, we, we just talked about how head over heels we are with Xenoblade. So there's just a lot going on. But there's, there's a ton of games on this list. Um, and... I'm sure that I will buy all of them and try to try my best to play them and most likely not. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about clubhouse games, 51, uh, worldwide classics, because that just seems like a good standard to have in your collection. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but the one that actually really kind of pulled me away from Xenoblade Chronicles definitive edition and star tropics over the weekend was Shantae and the seven sirens. So I was able to get a hold of that just a teensy bit early, and it's a return to the series roots. You know, it started on Game Boy Color as kind of an adventure exploration game, kind of like a Metroid-type game, <clears throat> and um, it's returned to that this time, and, and we talked a lot about those types of games last episode. I love them, and I would definitely recommend this one, just like I, uh, we did those other ones last time. And um, I actually beat it and got about 99% clear through on it, missing like one gold nugget, which is driving me crazy. It took me about 13, 14 hours. It's really funny dialogue, fun characters. Again, another fun tropical summery-themed game. And, um, you know, you also really appreciate the transformation powers. You can turn into, like, a newt that can climb walls or a turtle to smash blocks. And, of course, it's those powers that let you access different parts of the map. So it's just a, one of those really big, uh, you know, huge worlds you can explore with really kind of precise, great-feeling action and powers. And, you know, if you like those kind of games, I can't recommend it enough. So... Um, Rob, I think if you're going to play play Shantae, like you said, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Oh, I'm 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 looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll definitely cool. give this one a shot. Awesome. All right, well, guys, Rob and Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a blast. All right, thanks, Chris. We Great. appreciate it. So that's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you know uh, so that you get the new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening and keep playing with power. <laughs>